Hi, welcome to Not Another Marketing Podcast, where I'm talking to Lewis Rothkopf, the president of Martin, which is a media buying and measuring platform for marketers. Now, we're talking about programmatic advertising. It's really exciting, honestly. Thanks for downloading. Now, the world of programmatic advertising, programmatic, programmatic, anyway, it's come a long way over the last decade, right? There's so much data available now and so many different ways to be able to target the right people at the right time. So in this episode, I'm chatting to Lewis Rothkopf, the president of Martin, which is a media buying and measuring platform. Now, we're going to talk about what programmatic advertising is, at what types of data we can use to target advertising, and what we should be measuring to kind of work out the return on investment. Now, you can find Lewis at martin.ai. That's martin.ai. Also on LinkedIn as well. You can check out the links in the show notes. Can I quickly mention Not Another Marketing Podcast is ad-free? Love it if you could give the pod a shout on social media, subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can check out more episodes at jtid.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Can I quickly invite you to my new Facebook marketing group as well? It's called Not Another Facebook Marketing Group. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of tips, advice, podcasts, networking, lots more. There's a link to that as well in the show notes. Now, the first thing I asked Lewis was to explain exactly what programmatic advertising is. Yeah, good question. So in the beginning, so say 25 years ago, when you wanted to buy a digital ad, you would figure out which website you wanted to buy that ad on. Yeah. You would pick up the phone. You would negotiate with a salesperson. You would land on a price. Uh, you would fax an insertion order back and forth, and, and boom, you're running. A few problems with that uh, emerged from the get-go. The first is, now imagine you want to run on a 100 different websites. Well, that's not efficient. Sure. Um, and suppose you don't want to pay the same amount of money for every ad impression that you deliver, right? Some. Yeah. Uh, ad impressions are worth more than others. And so in the yeah. old way, all you could do was buy a block of inventory that fills a hole on the page. It was inefficient. It wasn't cost effective. And it had to get better. Enter programmatic advertising, which really began roughly 12 or 15 years ago, maybe. And it, it basically um, looked to fix many of the challenges inherent to the old way of buying and selling advertising. The two principal ones are no more faxing insertion orders back and forth, no more even talking to a salesperson yeah. uh, if you don't want to. Um, anybody who has a seat on an exchange, a buyer, right, can decide where they want to run, can negotiate terms directly within the programmatic console, and if they want to pay a different amount for each impression based upon what we know about the geography, the browser that the user is using, and a whole bunch of other anonymous characteristics, well, they can bid more or less for impressions yeah. depending upon how much that impression is likely to bring value. So all of that is a very long way of saying <laughs> we've automated much of the tedium sure. uh, involved in buying and selling advertising. And I think the biggest uh, indicator that programmatic is here to stay is not only is the vast majority of, of kind of traditional adver uh, digital advertising take place mm -hmm. over programmatic plumbing, programmatic pipes, but more and more additional categories like 
streaming audio and connected yeah. television and even digital out of home are becoming purchasable using programmatic tactics. Sure. But we kind of forget, don't we, that that the the internet for a long time uh, used to be based on banner ads and CPM advertising. You pay for, for how many ads were displayed, weren't you? It, That's right. It, it wasn't that That's long right. ago, really, was it? And the, the, the pay-per-click yeah. sort of model is, is a little newer. It's And it's still happening today, believe it or not. So, really? Yeah, I mean, Google, when they... Um, when they released AdWords way back when, it, it really brought uh, pay-per-click, uh, though optimized by an algorithm, to the fore. And, it, and it's really been replicated um, pretty extensively. People are still buying advertising where they optimize to a CPM, right? Where they're buying yeah. a banner ad or they're buying a television ad. But all they really care about is fulfilling the budget at a specific CPM. And that's not a good idea um, sure. in almost every case, right? It's, it's called spray and pray, yeah. where if you're optimizing to spend the budget, you're probably just advertising without any real targeting, without any real efficiency, optimization, measurement. And, you know, you're, you're back to the classic Wanamaker problem of, you know, half of your advertising working, but but not knowing which half. Yeah. I suppose one, one thing about programmatic advertising is that you do lose a little bit of control yourself don't you you are kind of relying on some software to be uh displaying the ad in 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 places that are going to get results you know it's it's interesting um in the early days of programmatic that was true uh you Hmm. couldn't necessarily do all of the things with the same level of control that you could accomplish when speaking with a salesperson and doing it the old-fashioned way yeah that's really changed uh, tremendously. There is very little today uh, that either isn't available or that isn't accomplishable, if I can invent a word, yeah. using programmatic pipes. Uh, you know, the, the loss of control that folks may have experienced in programmatics early days really isn't much of a challenge any longer because anything that you would do with a salesperson for almost all types of media not all but for mm-hmm. almost all types of digital media you can replicate and and sure you are trusting an algorithm right you are trusting a machine but if you're putting in your goals right and you are giving the system as much information as you have on your target market on your key performance indicators on your customers then it should be doing what it does well which is to understand how much to bid on a particular impression, how to optimize to whatever the marketer's KPI is, and do so in a way that is largely transparent um, and doesn't take you know all day long of marketers turning knobs and dials in search of better outcomes. Yeah. Is, is artificial intelligence, machine learning involved in this process much now, nowadays? It's so interesting. You know, AI is is a word that means a lot. And, and <laughs> it I does, <think>, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, it also, it also means nothing. Um, yeah. I would argue, probably successfully, that any good advertising platform is making use of core machine learning capabilities, you know, some better than others, by understanding all the data that are available to it and then acting on those data uh, to put out an output. And, and that output sure. is typically how much to bid for an impression. 
AI, I think, summons uh, visions of talking robots uh, in people's <laughs> minds. Yeah. So we, we tend to stay away from that. But sure, uh, you could argue that machine learning algorithms are a form of artificial intelligence. Yeah, I, I think I think I finally got artificial intelligence in a way. I got it into my head in a way when I stopped thinking of sentience. Okay, because yes. so, yes. as soon as you mention AI to me, I'm exactly thinking of robots that can think for themselves and Terminator movies and things like that. That's that's what comes into my head. But it's not really about sentience, is it? It's about pattern matching. It's about uh, running well billions of calculations and, and noticing things that a human can't notice. Would that would that be right? Absolutely correct. So we're we're not talking about in general. We're not talking about Mr. Data or R2-D2, we're talking about an <laughs> algorithm that's designed by humans and, yeah. you know, makes takes advantage of machine learning uh, to get each better, to get better each time, right? Mm. Each time that there's a transaction that happens, uh, learn from it. Uh, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And, and when you win a bid, that tells you something about the inventory character. When you lose the bid, it tells you as much, if not more, about the inventory character so that you can incorporate that back into the algorithm, which learns all the time and then makes an incrementally better decision each time. Yeah. So how clever do you think all this AI and machine learning really is realistically? I mean, is it wasting money? I mean... I, I just I, I see a machine going out there and trying to find an awful and I see an awful lot of experimentation happening until it gets it right. Uh, and that experimentation could be with my my budget. Yeah, the training has to happen quickly. Yeah, uh, right. The, the algorithm needs to understand without wasting your budget uh, what it is you're trying to accomplish what data points are available to it to help make that decision. And that's where you start to get into things like incorporating first, second, and third-party data into right. the process. And, and what you get by doing that is now you're having the algorithm take into account things like the current weather. Why is the current weather important? Well, if you are uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon and your tummy is rumbling and you see an ad for the most delicious fast food hamburger that you've ever mm. seen, you're probably in a better mode to make a hamburger buying decision than you would be at 8.30 in the morning. I'm not going to judge anybody, but <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, a, a, along similar lines, you know, if, if you've got a client that uh, looks to book appointments, right? Their key yeah. performance indicator is qualified appointments. Let's understand how many appointments are available in the user's ge geographic location, because if all the appointments are sold out, right, or all of the cars on the lot have been sold, why are we going to spend money uh, reaching users who are only going to get frustrated that sure. there's nothing available? Yeah. So bringing those smarts and things like it into the process um, makes for a much smarter and quicker training process than would be if you had to start from scratch every time. Yeah, it is interesting you say. I think bringing in the data from different places is is quite key, isn't it? Because otherwise, all you're doing is just targeting demographic groups, audience groups, really, aren't you, and behavior online. But as soon as you bring in, like, the weather, for example, you could be showing a raincoat instead of showing a uh, sunglasses or something, and you could be showing the different types of raincoats depending on the type of person, right? Precisely. And, and we know that the more relevant advertising is, the more likely it is to resonate with the consumer and thus 
more readily it is able to drive positive outcomes from your advertising. The weather example is a great one. It's kind of the classic yeah. trigger uh, use case. But there's other things too, right? So let's sure. say uh, you're a marketer and you have a loyalty card program. You scan your card and get 10% off or you know whatever. And so you've built up this great CRM database, knowing things about your customers like, what do they like to buy? And yeah. when do they like to buy it? And how much do they like to spend? And how close do they live to a physical location? You get the idea. And yeah. then if you dip into that CRM database, as the algorithm is making a ad decision, well, now it's got so much more information that you, the marketer, and only you, the marketer, have available. So you can't buy, you know, Lewis's umbrella store data unless sure. you are Lewis's umbrella store. To your point earlier, anybody can, you know, geographically target or use off-the-shelf segments known as third-party data. Hmm. But you're really sort of missing an opportunity if you're not taking data that is precious and unique to you and using that to deploy advertising. Uh, the one thing that worries me a little bit about all of this, and it's probably the cynic in me a bit, is kind of who controls the algorithm. It's it's kind of the person who's selling you the advertising. It's Google and, and Facebook. How do I know it's working for me? Because they seem to make an awful lot of money. The first thing you have to decide upon before you can ask, is it working for me, mm. is what is my objective? Sure. What am I trying to do? Am I trying to raise brand awareness? Am I trying to drive website sales? Am I trying to drive people into physical locations? And once you figure that out, well, now you know what to optimize towards and you know what good looks like. For, oh gosh, way too long, people have been executing, not just in digital, but across all forms of advertising on kind of a wing and a prayer, right? They're, they're yeah. still using things like, cost per click or click through rate or video complete to decide whether or not the advertising is working. And, you know, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about, that's missing so much. Um, it, it could actually be injurious uh, and counterproductive because you're optimizing to things that we have seen time and time again do not matter. Right? Sure. Click through yeah. rate does not matter because sure. people who click are generally not the same people who buy things. And yeah. so one of the things that are, at our company we focus on is, is incrementality, right? Understanding yeah. what is the incremental impact that advertising has had anywhere up and down the funnel from brand awareness at the top to final conversion at the bottom. Let's understand how many people saw the ad and bought the product because they saw the ad versus how many people saw the ad comma, we're going to buy the product anyhow. And so sure. that's not good job media property. That's good job you for having existing customers. Um, yeah. What you got to land on is what does good look like in terms of real world sales, right? What is yeah. getting appointments booked? What is getting shampoo off the shelf? Yeah, you're, you're right. Away. It is kind of like having a different mindset towards to, towards advertising than we've had maybe maybe in the past doesn't it i i i did a, an interview oh i think it was middle of last year with a guy who was who, who was saying that he reckoned his company used to used to do a work at roi for 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 google ad spend and and he reckoned at least 40 50 percent of the spend was probably wasted you could take 40 percent of the of the budget away and you'd still get the same results yes 
and and that is the classic Wanamaker problem, which is I yeah. know half of my advertising is working. I, the trouble is I don't know which half. And that is what optimizing to clicks or optimizing even to relatively newer forms like cost per action, that's what it gets you, right? It, it, it incentivizes the media property to achieve the nominal goal but not necessarily to have any real world impact on your business, which is another way of saying you're crazy if you yeah. do that, right? Like, well, why why do you want to use these, you know, we call them proxy metrics or more aggressively, we call them vanity metrics yeah. because I, I'm sure it's nice to go into your boss and say, hey, look at that, we had 100 clicks, um, makes you feel good, makes your boss feel good for a second, but then you're like, all right, in retrospect, when we had those 100 clicks, did we have more sales? No. Okay. And then you're optimizing to the wrong thing. And it's only when you truly begin to impact the business with your advertising that you can get to say, aha, 20% of my budget was relatively ineffective. I'm going to double down on the 80% that was and try to get ever more close to 100% of the budget being effective. So, so we should really be measuring me- measuring the sale, the lead, whatever it is at the end. The, the 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 you know whether we turn something into an actual sale and how much that sale is worth. You, you're saying that's that's the better metric. The incremental difference that yeah. advertising has brought, whatever that final moment is, whether it's a sale or yeah. it's getting people to a retail location, or it's even something as cool as brand sentiment. So sure. how much did you lift uh, people's opinion of your brand or awareness of your brand after they saw the campaign? And how would you go about measuring these results? So we just, we're just using basic Google Analytics goal measuring, guys. Is there anything fancier? So the- yeah, it's a great question. There's a few different ways you can do it. Um, you know, at our company, we use something called Ghost Bids. We didn't invent it. Uh, it's been used by some large and terrific marketers. And basically, what it does is creates a ad campaign, uh, pool of targeted users, geographies, all the same attributes. You know, all eligible for displaying the ad. And then at the very last minute, when that ad is about to be served. In a percentage of the cases, right, in a statistically sound percentage of cases, it just doesn't serve the ad. It just doesn't buy it. Right. And so now you begin to understand with very little noise uh, and very little loss of precision, those who saw the ad and took an action because of it. That's incrementality. Uh, And in the case of something like your goal being online sales or visits to a website, it's relatively easy to close that loop, right? You know right away or you know within a prescribed look back window how many people um, did the thing, right? Bought the product or came to the website. For something like foot traffic into a retail location, that's a little bit more tricky. Um, We do it through a partner and they're able to measure footfall uh, in a particular area over a particular period of time. Uh, against how many people saw the ad. And and you get the idea. Um, For something like brand sentiment, we work with a partner that surveys users. So pre and post, uh, what do you think about this brand? Have you heard of this brand? So ever more ever more fulsome way, closing the loop, right? Having a, a, a marriage between advertising and business that has been 
far too lacking, uh, I think, in, in digital's early days. Um, there's a big push nowadays to, in, in the privacy side of things. Uh, there's a lot more ad blocking, ad tracking uh, being blocked. A lot of browsers are now building it into, you know, into the browser so, so you, can, you can block block all this. How's this going to affect how we, how we advertise in the future, do you think? It's going to make us better. Mm. Uh, all a good thing. Consumers deserve to have power over their uh, information, mm. uh, whether that information is obvious things like, you know, their driver's license number or things that are less obvious, like their IP address. Uh, yeah. The industry was really focused from its earliest days around consumer choice and, and consent. But the unfortunate thing is that um, not everybody in the industry played by those rules and created a scenario in which consumers' data was not being protected and was not being used in responsible ways. Mm -hmm. And so you have things that have been created across industry self-regulatory bodies, uh, across browsers like Google, across OSs like Mac OS, mm -hmm. um, that put the burden heavily on the advertiser and its vendors in making sure that consumers' privacy and, and what consumers want to do with their data is respected and yeah. good, right? Because in addition to being the right thing for consumers, many of the new approaches that are being taken to solve the cookie-less problem or yeah. the across-app ad tracking problem are just better, right? They're just yeah. better from the scientific marketing analysis basis. Things like understanding down to a deterministic level the impact of your advertising versus having to make assumptions as you do today, right? I mean, let's let's remember, um, anyone can clear their cookies at any time. Yeah, sure. So, you know, in, in, in yeah. the cookie-based world, you know, I go to lewis'swebsite.com after seeing an ad. I then go to bed at night and I close my browser and my cookies are cleared. And then I go back to lewis'swebsite.com the next day. And I'm a whole new person, right, from a deterministic <laughs> yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Um, there are ways that companies have solved that challenge or have come close to solving it by using probabilistic means, right? So what do we understand about the fingerprint that this user has made on, you know, our server that's really fallen and falling out of favor um, in favor of uh, more de deterministic models? that the cookie changes and the privacy changes are, are forcing upon the industry. And, and we say good, it, it can't possibly happen quickly enough. Yeah. Do, do you think the tracking side of things will become old fashioned, a little bit like the old banner ads became old fashioned? No. Um, and, and the reason is marketers are addicted to <laughs> yeah. behaviorally target advertising yeah. uh, and precise attribution, right? Understanding if their advertising has worked. And so um, tracking is not going away. Uh, tracking that is not privacy compliant and uh, mm -hmm. that is problematic, even if it is, you know, within the the, the regulatory guidelines, um, it's it's not good. Uh, tracking that makes users feel icky um, is just not good. And so the challenge upon the industry is is to do better. Um, but it's not going to be, let's go back to 1998 and target based solely on context and report on impressions and clicks. Sure. That ship has sailed, but there are more 
uh, appropriate, newer, better means of accomplishing those same things while respecting the consumer and improving accuracy. So if we talk a little bit about budget, I mean, I mean, do we need a lot of budget to be able to do this properly? Or, or can any business of any size kind of get involved in it? Even if you've got a few hundred pounds dollars ad spend a month compared to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, can, can anybody get involved? Good question. I think the answer is somewhere in between, hmm. right? So if you if you got a budget of $10 million, hmm. there's really nothing you can't do, right? Sure. You, yeah. you have no problem uh, reaching statistical significance uh, in understanding um, attribution and performance. You can run any format that you want, except perhaps, you know, except the Super Bowl. Um, there's almost nothing you can't do. Yeah. If you've got a budget of $100, yeah. there's almost nothing that you can do, too, yes. right? Uh, other than, you know, running a few impressions. And, and the reasons for that are not because you know, media properties don't want to take your money. It's because there's just not enough volume there to your earlier point for the algorithm to learn, learn, you know, what works and and how many uh, users that you're targeting are available on which different websites and and, uh, other digital devices. Somewhere in between the two. So I think if you're spending, call it $10,000, you know, what is that? 7,500 pounds a month. Yeah. Now you're talking, right? There are things that you still won't be able to do. You, you may have some trouble reaching stat sig for surveys or footfall analysis, but you can certainly track lift from a online sales or a website visits perspective. So it's kind of a crappy answer and I apologize, mm-hmm. but the, the truth is it's it's really somewhere in between the two before you can start to make real progress. And what would you kind of recommend to the folks who've got smaller budgets? Google AdWords is great, right? Yeah. Anybody can go, or Google Ads, I should say, anybody can go and um, buy native ads uh, that appear in search. Your budget, I think your budget can be literally anything that you want. Yeah. Um, and if you are, you know, an individual franchisee, for instance, or you own an auto dealership or a restaurant, that's probably, I would imagine, the realm that you're going to be playing in. And you know what? That's okay. Because if you are an individual franchisee, you're not trying to reach two-thirds of the U.S. population, right? You're trying to reach people within, you know, two or three blocks of the location. And so $100 goes a heck of a lot further when you're trying to reach people in a neighborhood versus when you're trying to reach people in a region or a country. Yeah. Yeah. This is fascinating. I could chat for ages about this. Um, Where can we find you, Lewis? Where is your website? Where can we find out a bit more social media bits? You're going to laugh based upon my comment earlier, but our URL is Uh, (laughs) martin.ai. The AI (laughs) does not stand for anything, uh, although we do have quite a lot of sophisticated machine learning um, and augmented, if you will, intelligence. Uh, You can see us on Twitter at Martin underscore RTB. Uh, You can find us on LinkedIn. You can come to our website. We really wanted the website to be less of a sales brochure and more of a destination um, with independent points of view um, on a variety of topics facing the industry. So check it out. There's some cool stuff there. And of course, if we can answer any questions, always happy to. Fantastic. I'll leave links and everything in the show notes so folks can can click on that. Um, Lewis, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me on, John. Thanks again to Lewis for his time. Don't forget to check out the links in the show notes if you've enjoyed the episode. You can subscribe for a lot more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favourite podcast player. Just search for Not Another Marketing Podcast. Thanks for listening.